us for drawing here with Fred and Kara. I'm really excited about our topic today, Fred. Um, we basically had this whole series of topics planned for several months out, and God kind of told us to pause it. And you know, that's the beauty with something like this podcast. We started it because God put it on our hearts. And so all the topics that we bring to you, we truly do pray over. And if ever this effort stops being prayerful or stops being for the sake of God, we will stop doing it. But with everything going on in the world today, God made it abundantly clear that he wanted us to talk about suffering. So we will be talking about suffering's cause, um, you know, why bad things happen, and then really spending most of today's time answering the question, does God actually ask us to suffer? And then what it looks like to have a willingness to accept suffering. So to begin, let's address the initial question, you know, what's the cause of suffering? Fred, I mentioned this to you. I actually had a young student ask me this question. Um, she was interviewing me about religion and her question caught me off guard. It's a question with many complexities. Um, but to really get to the heart of it, the root cause of suffering in the world is the first sin of Adam and Eve. When we read Genesis, it's so clear that mankind is united perfectly to God in the garden. You know, he, he walks among them. He speaks directly to them. And to be united to God in this way is to be in complete communion with all that is good, true, and beautiful. And in the garden, because of this, there's no pain, no sorrow, no suffering. And then they turned from all that is good in God, and they sinned. And Fred, I'll mention this later in the episode, but we see this in the account of the rich young man. He doesn't follow Jesus, who is, of course, God. And in turning away from good, he leaves sorrowful. So by the sin of Adam and Eve, um, evil entered the world, and with evil, uh, with sin, comes suffering. It's interesting because we were just talking about this in RCIA uh, a couple weeks ago, and you see that happen like immediately, you know, after the fall. They, Adam and Eve, they enjoyed that state of, uh, in church language, original innocence, original harmony, and, you know, and it just it speaks to the unity that was between them. They walked with God in the cool of the garden. Uh, they really did enjoy a beautiful life and relationship with him. And there was no, even the fact that they were naked and unashamed, as scripture says, yeah. which, I mean, there's even more meaning in that than just they were literally naked and not ashamed of that. There, there's there's a deeper meaning there. And, and you see with the fall, like immediately what do they do? They go and hide from each other. They cover themselves. Mm -hmm. Because in a certain sense, there's immediately there's a shame and perhaps even an element of lust there. And, and when God finds them and asks them why they're hiding, you see this sort of, in a way, you see the effect of that suffering because what do they do immediately? Um, Adam says, the woman that you gave me. So first, first he blames the woman, right? Yeah. He blames somebody else. And then he blames God. And then God turns to Eve, and who does she blame? She blames the devil. And it seems to me like in, in, in our world, in our lives, we, we still do those things. You know, we, mm -hmm. we, blame, we blame God, we blame others, um, and we blame the devil. Um, but at the heart of that, I think St. Philip Neri, you know, he said that we often make our own crosses, that, you know, that we're often the cause of our own suffering. And in a certain sense, you see that here, you know, 
and pridefully choosing against God, mm-hmm. um, we've allowed uh, you know suffering to come into the world in a certain sense through our sin, uh, which was you know following up on our spiritual warfare series that we did. That certainly was the devil's intention. Right, right. This is the root cause. God doesn't cause suffering. He doesn't will suffering um, because suffering comes from the disordered ways of the world. But he can allow it to happen. And if he does, it's always for a greater purpose. And you know, Fred, I think it's also important to mention um, it's not always our fault, our cross, that is causing suffering. Because, like, people's suffering varies so much, you know. How can it be our fault if we lost a loved one? Right, right. But there is suffering in terms of, like, if we're not, if we are not intentionally bringing ourselves to God and relying on God in our own weakness and our own suffering, then we're reveling more in it, and and that we do have control over. Yeah, absolutely. Good point. And thank you for making that clarification because I didn't want it to sound that way. So how would you answer that question, why do bad things happen to good people? I think the two things are naturally related. Uh, you know, your point that you just made with we lose, the, we lose a loved one or something like this, that's not our own fault. Right. Uh, and yet it is in some ways tied to the suffering that's come into the world and what's, what's the cause of that suffering. So how would you answer that question? That's the age-old question, Fred. <laughs> Why do bad things happen to good people? Um, I've actually been asked that quite a few times by people. Just when they see somebody who has faith in a good and loving father, that's something that they struggle with if they've experienced suffering in their life. Why, does, why do bad things happen to good people? Two things come to mind in how to answer this. The first is... I feel like the question in itself implies that good people deserve only good things. You know what I mean? Hmm. Why do bad things happen to good people? Well, I would reverse the question. Why should only good things happen to good people? I mean, there's going to be suffering regardless of if we are good and faithful and we rely on God or if we're not. But I look at the saints, and that's probably, that's probably my, my second answer more importantly. The saints are good people. They are who we look to as models. They're, in essence, like the best people, um, apart from Jesus and the Blessed Mother. And they suffer greatly. Look at Saint Maria Goretti. She was stabbed and killed in the middle of an assault. Um, Look at Saint Padre Pio. He had the stigmata, which he would probably call a gift. I'm Mm -hmm. sure he would. But the stigmata is, is painful. It's the wounds of Jesus that you're, you're gifted, but it's painful. And so he underwent suffering. Look at St. Monica. She had emotional suffering, um, shed many, many tears for her son to convert. And look at the Blessed Mother. You know, she had the seven sorrows. Simeon told her she would be pierced with a sword. So, I mean, good people are not, are not immune to bad things happening. But we see the saints. We see the suffering that they go through and the bad things that have happened. But they come out on the other end, and they're holy because of it. Mm-hmm. So there can be, uh, there can be good that comes from suffering, and I think that would probably be my answer. Why do bad things happen to good people? Because God wants to call them to be even greater. Amen. I get the sense that this will probably be the theme of our discussion today, Kara. That you know that there is a certain sense of value to suffering. That that yeah. although God allows the suffering into our life, it does serve a greater purpose. And one scripture that comes to mind with that. You know, we can ask that question, why do bad things happen to good people? Well, why do good things happen to bad people? Uh, you know, right. one scripture that comes to mind there is that 
know, God sends his rain to, to, uh, for the just and the unjust, you know, and in a certain sense, uh, to live life in a fallen world, there are going to be trials, there are going to be sufferings, but there are also going to be great joys. Uh, the hope we have as Christians in the midst of suffering is that an, either, an even greater joy awaits us, and a lot of that joy is dependent upon how we respond in those moments of suffering. So, Kara, there's somebody that we know very well um, that suffered greatly mm-hmm. for us, and, and it's, a, it's an important, probably the key to understanding this whole idea of suffering having value, having uh, redempt, redemptive qualities, serving a good. Um, I can't remember quite his name, if you could help me and maybe tell us the story a little bit. I'm kidding. Hmm, is it Jesus? I think it is Jesus. When in doubt, just say Jesus. That's a good tip. And that is actually a very profound statement there. When in doubt, just say Jesus. So um, anyways, uh, so Kara, maybe maybe talk a little bit. How did Christ suffer for us? And, you know, what was the Father asking of him? Uh, and, and, you know, why? Why did he go through this? What did he go through? And why did he do it for us? Yeah, well, I think first, um, I have actually heard it said that Christ suffered so that we don't have to. And that's just not the case. It's not the case because Christ suffered in such profound ways, but we look at him in so many ways that how, of how he is a model for us in our life. We look at how he lived. Um, we look at how he prayed. We look at so many things and he is the example. So why would we not look at the way that he suffered and he died? So how did he suffer and die and how can we look at that? I think the easiest answer is the passion. There are obviously other ways in which he suffered, you know, being persecuted and and people plotting to kill him throughout his public ministry. Um, He lost Joseph before his public public ministry, his father. So there are other ways in which Christ suffered, but the, the most profound is looking at the passion. And there are the obvious physical ways that Christ suffered for us. He suffered in the agony in the garden where he literally sweat blood. This was known in ancient times as runner's agony. Like they would start sweating blood, um, just thinking of how much they were going to to have to undergo physically um, in in running. Like they would run, I don't know, a marathon. I don't know if that's what it was called in ancient times. They would start sweating just thinking about how their body was going to be pushed. So think of that with, with Jesus he starts sweating blood just thinking about what he is going to undergo for you. And that's a great suffering for him. And then he gets betrayed by Judas. Um, Think of that suffering. Betrayed. He calls him friend. You're betrayed by your friend. The Jewish leaders, they persecute him. They hand him over to the enemy. They hand him over to the Romans. Then the Romans sentence him to death. And then he's scourged. Okay, a scourging is not just like a whip. Okay, if anyone has ever seen The Passion of the Christ, a scourging is like hooks and and multiple sharp objects and bones attached to a whip, and they like literally rip your skin and your muscles from your bones. And then he is made to carry the instrument of his death. And then he's nailed to a cross, and he is crucified. All of this, so painful. Crucifixions 
were the most painful way to die. Romans literally perfected crucifixion so that it was the most effective way to die, but also bringing about the greatest amount of torture. And it was supposed to last several days, like up to seven to 10 days for somebody to die of crucifixion. Think of that. Jesus died in three hours. So what we get in scripture is, you know, having ordered him to be scourged, he was handed over to be crucified. That's all we get about the scourging. But the fact that Jesus died in three hours when it's supposed to take days shows you how brutal, how brutal the scourging was. So there are so many ways that Christ suffered physically for you. I think the scourging in particular uh, is fruitful and instructive, especially that scene in the Passion of the Christ. Yes. As much as I, I cry every time, yeah, Fred. <laughs> I, I think in a lot of ways that's the most powerful scene in the whole movie. Um, and I think of that in a lot of ways. One, you know, I love sacred art, um, but I think a lot of sacred art, you know, uh, for various reasons, Jesus doesn't look to be uh, as scourged if you will i was just thinking this like there's a there's a picture of him like with the thorns on his head i'm like this is right after the scourging and he has no blood on him i was like make him bloody he's like he's hurt it's it's very sanitized and so you know i think when when i watch that scene in the passion of the christ that really gets to the reality of what's there and especially you know when you think of reflection saint jose maria escriva has a incredible reflection on the scourging at the pillar where really he, he's taking in mind that, you know, who's responsible for the scourging of Christ? Who's the person holding that whip? Well, it's me. I'm the person holding that whip uh, and through my sins. And in a very real sense, you know, the, each lash of that, of that, you know, those instruments is one of my sins. And I think, it, you know, it, it's that kind of perspective helps us to keep in mind how the reality of Christ's suffering and what he suffered for, you know, our, our sins, ultimately. Uh, yeah. And I just think, yeah, there's just, it's it's incredibly sad, but also incredibly beautiful. Well, and I think something that I admittedly forget, and I imagine some people do as well, is we look at the way that he suffers physically. And, you know, praying the sorrowful mysteries of the rosary, I reflect on his physical pain. But... Jesus was both divine and human, and he had human emotions. He experienced joy. He experienced sorrow. And he knew exactly how he was going to suffer and die for us. Um, He has passion predictions throughout Scripture, throughout the, the Gospels. And there's a very specific one in Matthew chapter 20. He says, Behold, we are going to Jerusalem and the Son of Man will be delivered to the chief priests and scribes, and they will condemn him to death and deliver him to the Gentiles to be mocked and scourged and crucified. This is very specific. So he knew exactly what was going to happen. What do you think happened directly after Jesus gave this most precise passion prediction? He's talking to his apostles. His apostles did not recognize that, oh, you know, the Messiah is the suffering servant, not some political leader who's going to come in. No, what they did, the immediate response was they didn't even acknowledge that he said this. Mm. James and John go in, can we have the best thrones in the kingdom? (laughs) So it shows this difference between what we want, this earthly glory and this easy life and what Jesus has for us. And I just think of, of how 
much that would hurt. So we talk about the physical pain, but there's emotional pain to like imagine you just like bare your heart and soul to your closest friend and you tell them something difficult that you've gone through or something difficult that you're going to do and they just like completely blow you off. That's what's happening here. I just feel like I would be very hurt in my humanity. I would be very hurt by that. That's essentially the entire passion where, you know, Jesus knows what's going to happen to him, but he also knows that there are going to be people in his time and throughout all of history, in our time, who don't care about his sacrifice. And he is sacrificing himself for you. He sacrificed himself for Judas, for his friend who didn't care. He sacrificed himself for the scribes and Pharisees who handed him over and didn't care. He sacrificed himself for the Gentile soldiers who were who were scourging him, who nailed him to a cross, and they didn't care. So even in his passion, he suffered for every single person, even knowing that people were going to be indifferent to his love for you and his sacrifice for you. And that's essentially what the agony in the garden is. That's him. He's, he's saying, Father, let this cup pass from me. Let this cup pass from me. Because he knows it's going to be so painful. And he knows that some people will not care. But he says, but thy will, not my will. So in all of that, he is still willing to sacrifice for you and for everyone else. And I think that really gets to the heart of suffering, that it sometimes is physical. But it's also emotional. And it can hurt and be painful. But it brings about a greater good. Because think of the greatest good that came from Christ's suffering. We take joy and delight in his suffering because we reap the rewards and that's salvation. And that is the greatest joy. Yeah. Um, also, I think one thing that really stands out to me there is is the whole idea as Catholics, you know, we hear this phrase a lot, you know, unite your sufferings with the sufferings of Christ. Yeah. And I think who of us, as, as you're describing what Christ endured, who of us listening has not been betrayed by yeah. someone we would least expect? I think... All of us have had those experiences, but so has Christ. And in a very real sense, we can, we can offer that up, if you will. And we'll talk about this idea more as, as we go through this podcast today. But to unite our sufferings with Christ, it helps us to, be, to identify with him more, to be conformed even more to his image, to even more have that mind of Christ, to identify with him more, uh, which I think in a very real way, helps us to even to grow even closer with him to grow into a deeper relationship with him because we've all had those experiences when we you know we pour ourselves out for others uh there's this great passage i forget where it is in scripture i should have looked it up ahead of time uh i am poured out like water and and christ is talking about how much he's given of himself and you know i think that's the measure and who i mean we've all had those moments where we felt like that too and not received the thanksgiving or the appreciation we expected and that hurts that very much hurts so it helps us to identify with christ even more in those moments certainly i think also i'm reminded i mentioned the jose maria escriva uh, reflection on the scourging at the pillar earlier so i just wanted to read just a brief section from it because he's talking about everything christ endured and then he makes a pivot to how what Christ has done, it begs a response from us. Mm -hmm. He says, Jesus gave himself up for us in a holocaust of love. What about you, who are a disciple of Christ? 
you a favored son of God, you who have been ransomed at the price of the cross, you too should be ready to deny yourself. So no matter what situation we may find ourselves in, neither you nor I can ever allow ourselves to behave in a way that is selfish, materialistic, comfort-loving, dissipated, or forgive me if I am speaking too candidly, just plain stupid. I love when <laughs> saints talk that way. Anyways, <laughs> he goes on to say, If all you want is, to, is the esteem of your fellow men, and you long to be respected and appreciated, and you only seek a pleasant life, then you have strayed from the path. And with that, I think that's a good transition to the reality of how are we asked to suffer? Because Christ, kind, he makes it clear, like, the path to follow him, the, the path uh, as Christians, is one of difficulty. Uh, yeah. I think of um, John chapter 15. If the world hates you, realize that it hated me first. Yeah. If you belong to the world, the world would love its own. But because you do not belong to the world, and I have chosen you out of the world, the world hates you. And he goes on to say, if they persecuted me, they will also persecute you. And in a certain sense, you know, he says, take up your cross. So he, he promises us that there will be sufferings, but those su sufferings serve a purpose and, and in our greater joy. So that's kind of, I think that's the direction we're heading. So I think that's a good way yeah. to start. Well, in the, and in that quote, um, St. Jose, uh, he says, you know, when you are seeking comfort on that path, and that reminds me of Matthew 7, where the scri scripture passage about the wide and the narrow gate, and it says, for the gate is wide, and the way is easy that leads to destruction. And those who enter by it are many. And I think like that's why it's like, okay, how does Christ ask us to suffer? Some people may be like, does he ask us to suffer? Because we, we want the easy life. We want the comfortable life. But he says wide and easy is the path to destruction. So when we seek this easy, comfortable life, it doesn't lead to life. It doesn't lead to eternal life. It continues in Matthew 7, For the gate is narrow, and the way is hard, that leads to life, and those who find it are few. So the path is hard. The path will include suffering and struggles, but that's the path that brings us to eternal life. Pope Benedict, he said, you are not made for comfort, you were made for greatness. So why do we so often seek a life that's easy and comfortable? Because suffering, just like we mentioned at the very beginning, and it did this for the saints, suffering and hardship can bring us into holiness and can bring greatness forth from us. So I think it's important to first, Fred, establish that he does ask us to suffer, and it's us who are, are seeking to avoid suffering and seeking this easy and comfortable life. Yeah. And a qualifier before, you know, as we're moving into this particular topic, realize too that um, that suffering we're talking about, we're not saying, you know, you have to go around, you know, as, as Pope Francis says, like you just came from a funeral all the time. Right. You know, it yeah. doesn't mean if you don't look sad, you're not doing it right. Because there is a joy <laughs> in the Christian life. There's a joy and a peace that surpasses all understanding provided you understand and embrace uh, kind of a lot of these ideas that we're talking about. You know, if, if we really want to make progress in the spiritual life, it takes a humble resignation to the will of God. And you saw that certainly in the example of Christ, you know, not 
my will be done, but your will be done. Yeah. Uh, you know, and, and he takes up that cross and he d- he does it. And we'll, we'll probably talk about this more here in a moment. But for the joy that was set before him, for the joy mm-hmm. that was set before him. And we'll talk about what that means here in a second. Uh, so and, and that's kind of the resignation of, Lord, this is difficult. I don't understand it. But I know that in this difficult time, in this difficult moment, whatever's facing me, Ultimately, as we talked about in a previous podcast, everything that happens is, a, is your will, whether you're simply allowing it or willing it directly. And Lord, so I embrace this. Perfect me through it. And that's kind of the difference. We're not saying that suffering itself is a good. Uh, and that certainly isn't true. Right. Um, we're saying suffering, it, its effect can be good, provided your response to it and, the, and how you... Uh, you know, how you direct your response in the midst of that. It, it can, the effect can be good. Yeah, it reminds me of the the reading today for Liturgy of the Hours. It's very fitting, Fred. It's from Second Corinthians, and it says, it's St. Paul, and he's saying, I willingly boast of my weakness, that the power of Christ may rest upon me. Therefore, I am content with weakness, with mistreatment, with distress, with persecutions and difficulties for the sake of Christ. For when I am powerless, it is then that I am strong. So that really gets to the effect of our suffering. It's uniting it to Christ, and it's it's allowing Christ to work in us. Um, so how does Christ ask us <laughs> to suffer? All over Scripture, we see Christ saying, you know, drop your nets and come follow me, or come after me, or... Um, or he, you know, gives us this example of how to live in the Beatitudes, and then he lives that himself. So he, you know, he is showing us that we are to look to him as a model. And as I mentioned at the beginning, it's not just a model of how he lives and what he does, but it's a model in everything, including how he suffers and how he dies. So the scripture passage that I, I, this is one of my favorite scripture passages. It's in Matthew 16. And it says, if any man would come after me, let him deny himself take up his cross and follow me. If any man would want to be a disciple of Christ, it means to deny ourselves, to take up a cross and to follow him and and look at him as a model and do as he does. And I think sometimes when we say like, you know, carry your cross, it can be like kind of diminished, not diminishing your suffering if, you know, but we all have different very variations of suffering. It might be something small that we just have a difficult time accepting, or maybe it's a hard time at work, or maybe it's a bigger cross or a heavier cross that's like a, a loss of a loved one, or you suffer from abuse or something like that. Everyone has heavier crosses to bear. Um, it's just dependent on that person. But when Jesus says, take up your cross and follow me, this meant death. That was what the cross was. First Corinthians um, chapter 1 It says, we preach Christ crucified, a stumbling block to Jews and folly to Gentiles. So this was not an easy thing for for Jesus to say, to take up your cross. Because for us, the cross is this image of hope in Jesus. But for the Jews and the Gentiles, when when Jesus says this to his apostles, it means death. Because that's the sign of Roman crucifixion and Roman rule over the Israelites. And so I think... um, I, I think that, that that is really telling to what Christ is calling forth from us. This is an important point because so oftentimes we hear, you know, be a better you, 
your best life now, all these sorts of ideas. And it really kind of, in a very real way, runs contrary to what, what Christ is actually saying in Scripture. You know, I think we see the best example of what you're talking about in St. John the Baptist. He must increase and I must decrease. You know, yeah. St. Saint Paul, uh, it is no longer I who live, but Christ in li- who lives in me. In the life that I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. It's that whole idea of being more like Christ and less like me. When, when Christ says, come follow me, as you said, take my yoke upon you and learn from me, literally what he is saying is, take my worldview upon you, adopt my way of thinking, let my mind be in you. And Paul himself says that as well, let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus. And I think you mentioned, you know, following Christ in all things. That really kind of was the understanding the first disciples would have had when we look at, and we're going to talk about this on a future podcast, but when you look at the relationship between the disciple and the rabbi, everything the rabbi did was worthy of imitation. It was considered Torah or sacred and holy, Mm -hmm. even down to they would literally walk in each footstep of the rabbi because that step was seen as holy. Or if the rabbi had a, a nervous tick or something, they would copy that because it must be holy because the rabbi does that. <laughs> so, and I and I think that that is kind of the idea. These are things that we miss two thousand years ago, two thousand years later. We take for granted that literally our whole life should be about imitating Christ, following His example through and through. Yeah, and I think even the the mention of deny yourself and take up the cross, it might not necessarily mean physical death as as the apostles would have interpreted it but just being willing to sacrifice our own will and Fred I know you've mentioned this um, denying ourselves dying to ourselves to accept the will of God because there may be a permitting of suffering that is a part of God's will but it's to bring about a greater good and I know Fred you have mentioned to me this analogy of um, of gold and how gold is created and how it's made beautiful. Do you want to explain that? Yeah, the, the refining process. And there's actually a scripture. I forget where it is, actually. I should have looked it up ahead of time. That's um, okay. Well, where Paul's talking about the process of refining gold. And, you know, it, it, it's hot. It's, uh, you know, it's, it's messy in mm-hmm. that dross that comes to the surface. And so, you know, that's a difficult process. But in the end... It's for the perfection and beauty of that gold. And that's, that's kind of the idea here, too, is that, you know, we need to be thinking of the, you know, with the end in mind. You know, we, God made us to love him and be happy with him in heaven. How do we get there? To know him, love him, and serve him. And that loving, knowing, and serving him involves taking up our cross and following him, even when it's difficult, even when it's not easy. You know, he promises to give us life abundantly. But that abundant life doesn't necessarily mean I'm going to have the nicest car in the neighborhood and also live in the nicest neighborhood. And, you know, there's never going to be any difficulties ever. Right. Uh, it also doesn't mean that if I'm facing difficulties, somehow I have a lack of faith mm-hmm. or somehow I'm not praying hard enough. Um, you know, that or, or because, God doesn't find favor with us if right. we suffer. Yeah, that's not true. Right. Um, but yeah, I, I just want to return real quick again to Jose Maria Escrivac here, if you don't mind, because no, it goes along with what, exactly what you're saying. 
He says, You yourself must decide of your own free will to take up the cross. Otherwise, your tongue may say that you are imitating Christ, but your actions will belie your words. That way you will never get to know the Master intimately or love him truly. We are not walking with our Lord unless we are spontaneously depriving ourselves of many things that our whims, vanity, pleasure, or self-interest clamor for. Not a single day should pass that has not been seasoned with the salt of grace and of mortification. We'll talk about mortification here in a moment. What a sad little happiness you will have if you don't learn to overcome yourself. If you let your passions and fancies dominate and crush you, instead of courageously taking up your cross. And I can't help but think a lot of the problems that are facing us in the world and a lot of what we're seeing is this very thing here. We have a lot of people who are not willing to overcome themselves. Yeah, They're perfectly content to be ruled by their, their passions. And I mean Christians, especially here. Uh, and mm-hmm. I know I've been guilty maybe even today, you know. Um, yeah. So... And I think that's something we need to be mindful with this as well. Yeah, being willing to suffer. That's what this whole podcast episode is about, is a willingness to suffer. We're we're talking about how Christ suffered, how he asks us to suffer. But really the response is us being open and willing to suffer. And Fred, in that quote, um, it says, essentially denying the comfort and in, in, in your own life and it reminds me of the rich young man where he comes and and he this is actually like a very beautiful heart okay so like when you read the rich young man it's like um jesus what must i do to gain inter- eternal life and he he gives him all of these uh commandments and he's like i do all of these what more must i do so this is a very like humble i've done all these but i i realize there's something lacking what is it And Jesus says, sell all of your things and follow me. And then it says that he goes away sorrowful because he has many things. He is sorrowful because he's turning away from God to go back to his easy and comfortable life. At the beginning of this passage, Mm -hmm. Jesus says, why are you asking me who is good? And then at the end, it says he, he's sorrowful because he turns away. He has many things. He's sorrowful because he's turning away from he who is good. Right. Jesus asks who is good. Jesus is good. He's right. saying, come follow me. Yeah. Right? So that's what we're called to do is to deny our will and ourself and be willing to suffer. If it means, even if it means selling our things and following mm. yeah. God. That's the most literal thing. But then he says that, he tells his apostles that it is easier for a camel to enter through the eye of a needle than the rich man to gain eternal life. And they're like, who then would be saved? You know, how is it even possible? And God, Jesus says, it is impossible. He essentially says it is impossible. So we're like, your sufferings are difficult. They're hard. But take heart because they're actually impossible. Right? (laughs) Right? Jesus says they're impossible. But then he says, but with God, all things are possible. So it's taking our suffering. We can't do it by ourselves. It's impossible by ourselves. But it's taking our sufferings and and being willing to do it, but uniting our cross to the cross of Christ because it's only through Christ, it's only with God that we can carry it. Amen. It's interesting to note, too, because the scripture, I mean, you pointed this out, the rich young man, uh, for all purposes, he was a good man. Yeah. Certainly by the world standards, even, you know, in terms of the Pharisees, we're often 
unfairly critical of the Pharisees. Yeah. In a lot of ways, they kind of were the best of the best at the time. They really were striving to live a life of holiness. There's a lot of good um, rabbis during that time. Hillel comes to mind. Um, and Jesus was so hard on them because they themselves were missing some of the point. Not right. because they were, you know, uh, terrible people, but even by the ph- pharisaical standard, I mean it as a compliment, even by their standards, this was a good man. And yet he struggled with that. And, and I say that to point out that, you know, we have many, the world presents, I'm a good person. Uh, yeah, but by the world standards, perhaps. And, and I think a lot of times we reduce that to, to things that are really pretty arbitrary. Well, I didn't kill anybody today. I'm a right. good person, you know. <laughs> right. uh, no, 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 no. There's more to it than that. There's more to yeah. it than that. It's a matter of the heart. But Christ basically tells us, I mean, to, to tie that in, Christ tells us what that is to be a holy person. And he tells us this in the Beatitudes, um, in the Sermon on the Mount. He says, blessed are the poor in spirit. Okay, so we, we're, we're talking about like the easy path and the hard path, um, what we think in the world and what what God tells us to be. And and the Beatitudes are essentially suffering. I mean, if you look at them, blessed are the poor in spirit. Blessed are they who mourn. Blessed are the meek. Um, blessed are those who are persecuted. Blessed are you when you are insulted and people say evil things against you. Like none of this sounds joyful. I mean, you can let us know if you think this sounds like something that would not be <laughs> suffering because I don't think any person likes when they're persecuted or insulted or, um, you know, whatever. But this is what Jesus says. And he says, you know, blessed are these people for yours is the kingdom of heaven for you shall inherit the earth. So this is what we are called to. And and some of it includes things that are not what we see in the world as as, you know, how we want to live. But again, going back to Jesus as the model, Jesus is the Beatitudes. Jesus is the, the Beatitudes embody who Jesus is. Because in scripture, we see Jesus is poor. He has no place to lay his head, Matthew 8. Jesus is meek. He says, come to me for I am meek and lowly in heart, Matthew 11. Jesus is the one who suffers for righteousness sake. And he has evil said against him. And he is the one who is persecuted. Jesus is the Beatitudes. So again, he is the model for us in everything that we do. And so I think that is, that is so key to the willingness to suffer is that Christ did not suffer so we didn't have to. Christ suffered to show us how to do it well and to unite it to God. So Kara, what you're saying is I, I don't get to complain. Yeah, you if, don't get if, to. Is that what you're saying? Because I like to complain, you know that. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, no, no complaining, Fred, but that kind of goes to like, we kind of have this, um, hesitancy or resistance towards suffering. Can, so can you speak a little bit to that? I think, you know, in a lot of ways, you know, we've talked about spiritual warfare and things like that in previous podcasts. So I think a lot of it has to do with, there is a warfare within us, you know, in a certain sense, we've talked about externally. You know, the Mm -hmm. world and the devil, in a lot of ways, they're our chief external enemies, if you will. Uh, We can overcome the world by refusing its lies. I think you can see this with trends like minimalism and things like that, Mm -hmm. where people are realizing, no, I don't need all of that stuff. You know, I don't need the latest, greatest, all of that. You know, you can see that starting to happen there. And many of those people would say they're much happier now in living with less. I think you can also see it, and this was the subject of our first, several of our first podcasts, 
we can overcome the devil with what is holy, you know, frequent confession, frequent Mm -hmm. communion, uh, you know, praying regularly, things like that. What's much harder to do is to overcome that horror of suffering, that fear of suffering that we all have that's ingrained within us. It's that fear of doing something that seems to be burdensome or difficult or painful. I think in a lot of ways, procrastination, uh, we procrastinate because in a certain sense, it's the fear of suffering. You know, we, especially, I, I think, I think for me, Kara, I, that perfect storm episode from The Office comes to mind, where, yeah. you know, where Michael Scott has, you know, all of the paperwork he needs to sign is due that no, particular he, day. He waits in line and dip for a donut. <laughs> yeah, and, be, and because it's so, seems so overwhelmingly burdensome, he puts it off. He keeps putting mm-hmm. it off, putting it off, and putting it off. And I think in my own life, I see that a lot too, particularly with administrative cat tasks. Carol would say <laughs> amen to that. But, you know, but really, in a small way, that is the same thing. It, it's a refusal uh, or an unwillingness, at least, to do what is difficult. And really, Even in the small things, Fred, like like you said, the administrative stuff, but I know like in our state in life, which I know you can speak to probably way better than I can, but there are little things that we are asked to do because of the state that we're in that sometimes we like to avoid, <laughs> but it's okay to accept that suffering. Yeah. These tips mostly come from Father Ripperger we've talked about before, but I think there are good tips and I think they get to the heart of, you know, how can I overcome this horror of suffering. And that, and that first one really is, as you said, the acceptance of our duties according to our state in life. So what do I mean by that? Uh, if I, I'm married, right? Um, have kids. There are certain things in my life that I am duty bound to do that might mm-hmm. I might not want to. There is a certain suffering that comes with it. I've changed many diapers that there was certainly yeah. some suffering involved in the process of changing that diaper. However, what I've often found, and I talk about this, you know, when we do marriage preparation and things like that a little bit, that really when you go into marriage, in a lot of ways, it is about, um, it's self-denial. Marriage, in a lot of ways, is a form of self-denial. And mm-hmm. if it isn't, if it isn't that at its heart, then you might be going into marriage with the wrong intentions and for the wrong reasons. Well, Paul says, um, husbands love your wives as Christ loved the church. Well, how did Christ love the church? He died for the church. So as, you know, in our relationship and marriage, we are to die to ourselves because we love that person. Yeah, exactly. So I, I want to challenge any men that are listening. Next time you watch The Passion of the Christ, when they take Christ down from the cross, I want you to pause the scene there. Uh, and really, where Christ is laying bloodied on the ground, that's what marriage looks like. That's what you're called to. That's how you're called to love your wife. And so I think a lot of times I don't want to do the dishes. You know, I don't want to do these certain things. I'll just get some flowers. That, that'll that make up for it. <laughs> no, it won't. But denying yourself will. Even in a different state, like if you are a student, like I'm a graduate student, my suffering is definitely sitting down and writing a 20-page paper. That is suffering for me. So there's that procrastination where I'm kind of like denying or not being willing to suffer because that's my state in life. I need to suffer in that way in that moment because that's what's you know required of me. So there are different different areas in your state in life that like this is what you're being asked to do. Even if you don't enjoy it, you have to do it. Absolutely. Yeah, because the more we feed that resistance to do what is difficult, the weaker we become in embracing the suffering and the weaker we become in allowing God's work uh, in us 
I think the more complacent then we become too on the easy path from Matthew 7. Absolutely. What is comfortable? What is comfortable for sure. Another thing I think is important for us to overcome that unwillingness to suffer is a a resignation to crosses, um, a willingness to suffer at the hands of others. And what do I mean by that? It's a lot, it would be a lot easier to be holy if it wasn't for everybody else around, (laughs) you know, and I'm sure everyone that's listening probably has one person in mind when I say that, like that one person in your life that would make it very difficult for you to be holy. They, they always seem to, uh, they, the last nerve that you had, they got on a long time ago, you know, that sort of idea. Um, and, and St. John of the Cross talks about this when he, when he talks about his cautions, he calls them. And the idea is that the people in our lives th- are around us to polish us, to take the rough, rough edges off. So just as we talked about purifying gold earlier, in a certain sense, the people in our lives are there to serve as a means of polishing and perfecting us. Uh, St. John of the Cross says it this way, All are here to test you to test you by words, works, and thoughts against you. And see, so what our, what our job is and what we need to strive for is to be passive toward them as a sculpture is to the artist and allow mm-hmm. God's work in that process. Because the people in our lives, though they may tempt us, though they may stress us, they're there to help us grow in holiness and perfect us. And we just have to allow that suffering to work. And we need to understand that. I think every parent can say amen to that, too. <laughs> Going back yeah. to marriage and family, kids will help you get holy. If you oh, had, absolutely. Yeah. If you <laughs> had trouble with patience, you know, I prayed for patience. God gave me children. You know, that, yeah. that's, that's kind of how it works. And, you know, the last point I'm really going to touch on, Kara, is that the idea of, uh, in a certain sense, preferring suffering to pleasure. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and what I mean by that is incline yourself to what is difficult. So when those moments come that, you know, I really hate doing paperwork. <laughs> Kara, I really hate spreadsheets. You love them. They bring I joy. love spreadsheets. <laughs> they bring joy to her heart. To I'm a nerd. <laughs> yeah. Um, but I don't like it. So what I mean by incline yourself to difficult, difficult things. So uh, rather than putting things like that off that you don't like, embrace them right away. Get them done as soon as you can, because it's establishing a habit, a pattern of embracing what is difficult. And that strengthens your soul. It it inclines you more toward a greater difficulty. And then, you know, there's a joy that you will begin to grow in. It becomes a virtue because it's becoming a habit. And ultimately, it's leading to the the sanctification of your soul. And that's the whole point. Uh, And that's really the point of everything we're talking about is that suffering, we talked about suffering itself not being good, but its effect is good. And that's what we're talking about. Suffering, when you embrace it, recognizing it for what it is, leads to our sanctification. Yeah, and I think it really goes to the willingness to suffer. And Fred, what stood out to me was that we have this fear of suffering. You mentioned that in the first practical tip, is that we have this fear of suffering. So one of my absolute favorite saints is St. Therese of Lisieux. And in her autobiography, Story of a Soul, she talks about suffering throughout the entire book. And she talks about it with longing. Like that's the word I'm going to use, with longing. She prays that Christ would send her suffering, more ways to suffer. 
And I was just so drawn to this in, in her book that I started like desiring the same thing. I was like, oh, I want to pray for suffering. That sounds so cool, you know. But this is what my prayer sounded like. Definitely not holy like St. Therese. <laughs> my prayer sounded like this. God, I want to suffer for your kingdom, but here are some ways I'd be willing to suffer. Like here's A, B, C, but not D, not E, not F. So so I had all of these like constrictions, restrictions on how I was willing to suffer. I was only willing to suffer in the ways I was willing to suffer, if that makes sense. So I wanted to remain comfortable. I had this, I still had this desire to suffer, but had this fear of the suffering that Christ was going to give me or the cross that he was going to send me. Maybe it wasn't the one I wanted. And that's just not how suffering works. Um, Because if we're comfortable in it, then I mean, it's not suffering. And and there's a certain sense in where you don't see that relationship. Like a lot of times our relationship with Christ, we speak in a marital way. Mm -hmm. So that's what comes to mind as you're saying, describing that story. Like who of us would marry somebody that said, I will give him my life totally to you, except on Wednesdays. Wednesdays belong to me. Or I'll do anything for you. Except I'll never change a diaper. I will never do the dishes. Right. I, you know what I mean? And, and there's a certain right. sense, and that's exactly what I never, I've heard you say that before, but I didn't make that connection. But as you're yeah. saying that now, that really stands out to me. Right. Like if we're willing to offer ourselves, if we're willing to truly die for ourselves, just like we're called to in marriage, then you, there's, there's nothing that we're supposed to withhold. Um, so suffering is suffering. If we're if it if it pulls something out of us, you know, if it's truly carrying a cross and if it's dying to ourselves in some form, and um, and I think the important thing to mention in that is that even even though suffering is hard and it's painful, there can be so much beauty and joy that comes from it. There can be so much joy that comes from it. And I've already mentioned the example of Christ; his suffering brings about such a great joy in in us, but. A worldly example that we can relate to is childbirth. If there are any moms out there listening, you can relate to this. Childbirth is no picnic. It is no walk in the park. Okay, that's that's like downplaying it. It's no walk in the park. That's downplaying it. It is not even it's it's far above like a sprint through the park. I hate running, so that's like that's suffering for me is a sprint through the park. And it's a million times worse than that. But there's joy that comes at the end because at the end of childbirth, the pain of it, we get to hold this life that we have been growing for months in our womb. We get to hold this life that we helped create. And I think that's so key is looking at what's the end goal? Because the end goal of enduring suffering and and pain in childbirth is life. The end goal of enduring suffering here on earth is eternal life. So if we see this goal, if we recognize that it's eternal happiness and beatitude in heaven with God that we are aiming for here in this life, what would we not be willing to do? Like I I have two children and I can't even begin to express to you the joy and happiness that I felt when I held them for the first time in my arms. But I know that heaven is a million times and infinitely more joyful than holding a child in your arms for the first time. So if I'm willing to undergo childbirth, which is terrible, (laughs) to hold, you know, to bring life in the world, we should be willing to undergo so much more suffering to gain eternal life. 
Amen. I, I think in a lot of ways that that whole idea, Jesus endured the cross for the joy that was set before him. Mm-hmm. Uh, that joy was you listening, by the way. It was Kara and I yeah. as well, because that's yeah, why he did it. I think mm-hmm. in a lot of ways that story of childbirth, Kara, is the, I think it's the easiest way to grasp because ultimately it is that, is that, is that joy, that life with, that, with your child that you wouldn't trade a single minute of that. I mean, I'm sure you wish you didn't suffer as much, but <laughs> but it was worth it right. to you, right? Like, right. And it, it brings that joy. Uh, and I think that that's an incredible, beautiful thing. It's probably why many saints and theologians have, have thought that women receive more grace than men. Uh, <laughs> certainly, um, I, I, would, I think that's probably very true. Um, but yeah, it's, it's just such a beautiful example uh, of what that looks like in our life. Because St. Francis, I think himself, said it was appealing to that same thing. He said, So great is the good which I expect in the next life that all pain to me is a delight. Oh, absolutely. Would you say that expi- fits your experience yes. in childbirth, Kara? Yes. Yeah. All pain is a delight. All pain is worth it yeah. for that joy. Right. Yeah. And, and, and that's kind of how we need to embrace it as well, to see that I don't understand this difficult thing. I don't understand what I'm going through. Yet, God ultimately sees the purpose, sees that there's something good in this, and he's working for my betterment. And, and the one, one final point I really think it's important to, to make, Karen, we mentioned it earlier, being conformed to the image of Christ, having, yeah. you know, following his example. And I think it kind of goes back to your point with the Beatitudes as well, that patient enduring of undeserved suffering in particular helps the faithful to be even more configured to Christ and, and enables us to reach even higher levels of grace. So if, if Christ allows us to suffer, we have to keep in mind it's for a good reason, even if we don't understand it. Absolutely. I think the place to end here is to remind everyone again that it's not by our own accomplishments and our own willing that we're able to endure suffering. It's only united to God, just like he says to his apostles. It's impossible, but with God, all things are possible. So we take our suffering and we unite it to Christ, and only united to Christ can it have meaning.